Hello and welcome. What a joy to be here. My name is Peter Melton. I'm being joined by Debo Zarco and Michael Shaw. And wow, <laughs> saw this documentary recently that Michael put together. Wow, living in the time of dying. An amazing thing. Michael, welcome and thanks for, for coming on to talk to us. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thank you, Peter. Michael's in New South Wales. Debo Zarco, if you don't know about her and her work, she was, she was all the rage in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Deb's up in Canada near Ottawa, right? And, uh, and welcome, Deb. <laughs> nice to be with you, Peter. And you it, too, Michael. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be with Michael too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Somebody who dared to make a documentary out of what so many of us have been feeling, mm -hmm. right? So many of us who, who came into this idea, came into this feeling that, uh-oh, things are not so good. And maybe things are really not so good. Mm -hmm. And then there's more and more info about systems that aren't working. And the word collapse starts coming in. Mm -hmm. And the word extinction starts showing up. And whoa, this is a major thing that we've never really looked at before. Mm. And, and Michael, boy, tell us your story. When did you start becoming aware of all this and what caused you to say, I'm going to document all this? Yes, well, um, I mean, I, I think probably like everybody in this field, I had that, even as a kid, I remember being anxious about what was going on in the environment. I had this sort of nagging anxiety but focused on you know trying to live a successful life or you know get somewhere um you know accumulate things you know set up my retirement or you know kind of caught up in a certain lane and um two things happened side by side that really set me up on this and and the first one is i had a, a brush with cancer and for a little bit of time, uh, not that long, you know, maybe only a few weeks or a month, I was contemplating um, that, I'm, that I may not have more than six months to a, uh, to a year to live. So I sat in that and what I noticed, um, this is, this is a, a long answer to a, to a short question, but I'll get there. But what I noticed in that period of time uh, which Deb, you know, you, you may relate to this because I, I know there's some of this in your book, but I actually got really happy and I got happy because I could just put aside all these anxieties and worries about where I was supposed to be going and who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to have. And as those things fell away, I noticed like a natural joy was present, but I also think that I dissolved a bit of the fear of death that I must have been carrying. And so when I came out of that and, you know, I, I, I tested clear as it hadn't spread through my system, I met Catherine Ingram right about that time. And Catherine is very unflinching in her message about where we are in the environment. And, um, I was lucky enough, I, you know, I have a, a close relationship with her. So we had many, many, many hours of sitting down, talking, you know, um, sharing a gin and tonic, you know, <laughs> you know, chatting very casually 
but very directly. Um, and she also has her Dharma, Dharma Dialogue talks, which I was also going to at the time. Um, and the combination of those two things was like, look, here we are. This is the truth of it. And there's no getting around it. And I didn't feel afraid then to embrace what that actually was. Whereas I think before then I'd been afraid, I'd been too focused on, you know, meaningless things really to absorb what the, the truth of what that message was. And as it landed, um, I think I had about a year where I'm not going to call it depression um, because, you know, I know people who have had depression and that wasn't where I was, but it was a type of depression where I really, uh, I couldn't find the purpose to doing anything anymore in the way that I had done it before. Nothing had any meaning and I was smart enough and I was, I had the means, I suppose, uh, at that time to do nothing. And so I sat in a, an empty space for quite a long time. And out of that empty space came the idea for the documentary. In fact, it came on a meditation retreat with Catherine, to be honest. Oh, wow. And what year was this, Michael? Or uh, I'm wondering if it's two years or three years ago now. So, so let's say must be three years because I, I sat on it. No, maybe it's two. By the time <laughs> when it came with, with the force that it came with and there was no second guessing what it meant to do. There were, it was like someone lit a fire in me and I just knew that I had to do it. And I also knew it had to be a documentary where I went to meet people rather than just interviewing people by Zoom because that was the of the question that people would say, why don't you just do this by Zoom? You know, because it would have been a hell of a lot cheaper to do that. <laughs> so I had, you know, in order to, to make it, I had to sell my house, but I was such a, I was so alive with the purpose and, you know, really purpose was such a gift to me and um, to, to feel that I had something that could, uh, both help myself, but help other people with this was, was very liberating um, mm. for my energy, for my being. And so that's how it started. And, um, you know, I yeah. have no, I have no history of documentary making whatsoever. I have, I don't even really could say that I'd even had a, uh, a dream about making a documentary. It was really totally out of the blue. And wow. I, you know, so like, who am I going to interview? I know Catherine, I know Catherine and, you know, I'd love to interview, uh, you know, these people, but, you know, Jem was one of them, but, you know, who am I? And I sent an email to Jem and um, at the time, a few of my people that I'd connected with, including Catherine had emailed him and got form responses because he was inundated at that time. He just released his, his white paper. And, um, he responded to me for some reason, you know, just, <laughs> just chance and fate and whatever. He responded to me and said, yeah, sure. Come and do an interview. And so 
once I decided and once Jem had given me that response, then, you know, I was off, I was off and running. Came on. Wow. That's so neat. And Deb, I know you can relate to this. Deb came out with a paper and from out of nowhere, kind of. So tell us a little bit about your experience, uh, Deb. Yeah, that was, uh, that was in 2016. And I had, I had a pretty successful podcast at that time. And I'd released another book prior to that. And I was skirting the edges of this conversation. Uh, but I didn't allow myself to fully go there. And it wasn't until I guess it was it's hard to remember now. You know, when you start living really presently, <laughs> it's, the memory is yeah, just time seem irrelevant. is a whole different game. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I, it must have been like November, December, twenty fifteen. I started having these. I'm calling them premonitions, but they were really, really vivid dreams about the ocean dying. And they were relentless and they were haunting me. And I've always paid attention to, to really significant internal cues like that. Because when they're that loud, I know that I need to pay attention to them. And they just, they wouldn't let up. And shortly after that, it was really interesting. I got an email from somebody who'd been following my work for quite some time. And she called me on my hopium. That's the first time I'd ever actually heard that term. So I'd had these premonitions in like the, the end of 2015. And then it was like February-ish where I got this email calling me on my hopium. And finally, that was like the, the catalyst for me to finally accept that those dreams and premonitions were there, there was some something legitimate to them rather than denying them. And that email was the catalyst for me to drop into some deep grief, profound, painful grief, and reach this place of acceptance that what I felt um, as a child, you know, very much like you, Michael, is like I, I knew as a kid that there was something very wrong with this world. But to realize that I was born into a dying world and I, you know, I'm living it. I'm living in these end times. So when I finally accepted the dreams and when I finally accepted the reality that I already knew but didn't really want to fully confess to, I was, I, I just had this compulsion kind of like your documentary, Michael, I just had this compulsion to write. So my, I just wrote, I started to write and write and write and write, and it turned into this essay. That was my documentary. And I, I didn't know whether I was just writing it for myself initially, or if I was writing it for my audience. And, um, and, but everything inside of me said, I needed to send that out. I needed to put that out into the world. And I was, I was terrified because it was very different message than what I had been, you know, preaching all along about, you know, we're really, really screwed, but you know, what I call the delusional disclaimer, but if we blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and that was my, my way of denial and bargaining and all that other stuff. Anyways, I finally got rid of that and I put this all out there and I said, we're screwed. 
you know, and this is it. And I've known this all along and, and uh, finally I'm accepting it and here it is. So it was very raw. It was a very emotional blog post slash essay that I put out there. And I expected to turn away all of my readers and my podcast listeners. And instead the thing went viral. I was shocked. I did not expect that at all. And um, then I became a voice, you know, I became a voice for collapse and, and how to, how to navigate it. It's not like I had the answers. I still don't, you know, I'm just living it day by day, moment by moment. Um, but um, there was just, there was something really um, comforting in knowing that I wasn't alone because it was, it was a very, uh, it was a very stark reality, reality to accept within myself and um, to put it out there and to have so many other people feeling, you know, not necessarily the same way, but, you know, in similar ways, just made me realize that I'm not alone in this and I don't have to navigate this alone. And maybe this can be my new, this can give me a sense of meaning in what was starting to feel like a meaningless world because everything that we've been culturally conditioned to believe was meaningful was no longer meaningful for me. You know, the career and all the stuff that you were talking about, Michael, it was just, it just became irrelevant. None of it became, it just seemed stupid in fact. So, so yeah, so that was, that was it. And then that spawned uh, my book beyond hope. And uh, since then, I released that in 2018 and did some interviews, have done, written some more blog posts. And since then, I've, caught, I've kind of turned more inward and I'm just living actually the words that I wrote in Beyond Hope, just living day by day, moment by moment, you know, and then this pandemic hits and that's, that's another, um, I see it as a distraction from what's really important, you know, which is the collapse of the biosphere. <laughs> I think that's a lot more important. And I just, I find that it's ridiculous that there's this mad push to get back to business as usual. But I mean, that just is indicative of where we collectively are at as far as consciousness is concerned with our species. So I see it as just another nail in the coffin and um, expediting the inevitable uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's, that's like the short Coles Notes version of my <laughs> little journey <laughs> into this, into this doomer realm, which I don't, you know, actually, I shouldn't say that because that's not a word that I really resonate with. I don't really consider myself a doomer. I just consider myself more realistic, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. it, it's not, it doesn't lead to a doomy life. I actually live a very full, rich, mm. joyful life mm. and at the same time, there are days when I am just immobilized by grief because of what's going on. And that's just part of the human experience. It just is what it is. And there's a wisdom in everything. There's as much wisdom in the grief as there is in the joy. And it always brings me back to the present. Right. Oh, thank you, Deb. Thank you. That's, that's so well puts it. You know, in the movie, they talked there, Catherine talked about mountains of sadness, right? <laughs> that there's there's this grief that's available, but we're such a grief phobic and death phobic society that we don't realize that taking on the grief is what creates the answer to the grief. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what people tend to find when they go into it. 
enough, like you were saying, Michael, too. It's, I feel happy, but maybe I should, don't feel like I should be happy or something's wrong with being happy amidst what I understand is happening. But some of that happy is this relief that you finally got it off your shoulder, this relief that in, in taking on some of the grief, that the medicine for the grief emerges. And ah, it's really quite paradoxical as we dance with the grief and the gratitude, right? And, and dare to put ourselves out there in this, in this field. So, so let's get back to your story, Michael. So you decide you're going to do this thing and Jim Bendel says, yes, and that's all you need. And here I go, huh? Yeah. 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 Basically. And, um, as it, as it was, Dar was planning a trip to Australia and, um, that, um, for a variety of reasons he couldn't come through with, but he, Catherine was bringing him to Australia. So, so we had a, I had a link to Dar straight up and, um, so it was easy to get to Da, uh, and then you know once I was Da because I've been reading Da, you know he kept referring to uh, you know his mentor uh, Stan, and I thought well Da's you know extraordinary human being, um, I wonder if I could speak to this man that he keeps referencing um, in Stan. So that's how it all opened up really. Yeah. Uh, so I just sort of followed my nose. <laughs> um, you know, really from, from point A to point B and, um, you know, Stan, Stan is, uh, you know, really made big impact on me. I mean, everybody I interviewed did, um, but Stan wasn't someone I was expecting to interview when I left Australia and, you know, really extraordinary man. Right. So you went up to Washington and, and interviewed Dar, yeah. Dar Jamal of the end of ice is his, yeah. his yeah. book. Yeah. And saw his his spread there. How was yeah. that to be in the presence of? Ah, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, I feel like I had just an immediate connection with Da, and um, it's one of those things that's difficult to explain. Just when you just have a resonance, just straight up, you know. I think before we'd started the interview, I was talking to him for a few minutes, and straight away I felt, God, this guy feels like a, a brother, um, and w w what I was really impressed with from 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 da is just the way he has lived his life so that whole story about him uh you know being up on the mountain uh and deciding to go you know denali and then deciding you know on denali that he needed to go to iraq and um you know report from the point of view of the iraqi people and you know got to remember in america at that time uh, it was a very, very difficult thing to do. You could not speak out against the war. Nobody, people were getting thrown out of their professions. They were getting smashed. So, so he goes over there with, with very little money, no health card, no, no journalistic experience. So, so, you know, that is, you know, someone who can put their life on their line to follow what they feel is true uh, gets my vote every day of the year, you know, and I guess because I was feeling in a similar place when I met him, I'd sold my house and, you know, feel like everything's on the line to do this thing that may or may not make sense. So, so when I met Dar, I felt like, ah, oh, it's like, you know, it's like, yes, this is the right thing to be doing. It was like, you know, he resonated so deeply with, you know, how he moves in the world. And, you know, then he, obviously leaves to write about the environment and then now he's left that to, you know, to, to focus more about indigenous voices. So, 
feel like Dar is a real barometer of truth somehow. And, um, you know, so, someone that I would follow anywhere he went, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy, I met him. So I was helping to produce events with Dr. Guy McPherson back in 2014 uh, when I first met Dar at the, in San Francisco at an event and uh, Derek Jensen event. What's that called? Earth, something earth. Um, but uh, I'm like, whoa. I've read some of your stuff, but in person, you're just yeah. there, yeah. right? Yeah. And I never forget, we were staying at the hotel in San Francisco and we went to breakfast, the guy and Dar and I at the IHOP next door to the hotel. And we just had a time, right? It, it just, you know, just like kind of like this, where you're connecting with kindred folk who yes. you can talk to and they understand where you're coming yes. from, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I just loved Dar ever since and have been connected with him in lots of different ways. And yeah. and I lived near Stan. So I actually yeah. got to have coffee with Stan, uh, it was almost a year ago now, just to sit and, and be with this Native American elder yeah. who has been raised by his grandfather, yeah. right? To mm. carry on the native ways. Mm. And he lives in my town, right? Yeah. And I'm like, what? Because yeah. I had met him at Dar's talk. But so all this is swirling around. So did you come to, to Santa Cruz to meet uh, Stan? Yes. Well, once I had that sort of, you know, once I had that interview sort of set up, then I came down and met, you know, Stan. And, you know, Stan, um, Stan, wouldn't just do an interview like the others. So, so I came and spent a day with Stan before the interview and, um, you know, which says something about him too. Like he, he really wanted to give it the time and spend the time and, you know, um, you know, open my eyes in lots of ways. I think I felt uh, probably that same nagging unease about, you know, what's happened to indigenous cultures around the world as I did about the environment but I hadn't really opened my eyes mm. and Stan had that same effect that Catherine had on me. It's like, right. You know what I mean? You just turn around and have a look at this for a moment. So that was Stan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So just you get quite the energy, isn't he? Yeah. Oh my God. It's yeah. just like you're, it's like we were talking about how time is weird. It's like this whole thing is weird now when you connect to, cause, cause there you are with indigenous wisdom in your yeah. face at the coffee shop, right? Yeah. Or at his house yeah. in, in your yeah. case, right? Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I've time traveled, right? And there's this wisdom available and you're kind of dumbfounded a little bit, right? It's like, ah, what do I say to this, right? It's, it's yeah. really, really something. So, so you collect these interviews and you go back home to, to yes. then figure out what is the story I'm going to tell now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it, look, initially, uh, Initially, I didn't really want to be in it, um, you know. So it was my editor that was like saying, "No, you you can't, you can't have it. You can't just have three separate interviews. You've got to be the through line." And so that was um, that was very disturbing for me for a little while, you know. Um, uh, but so then, you know, we put it together and um, we we put it together and sort of, you know. Tom's not super experienced as a filmmaker either. And so we kind of cobbled together this thing. And, um, you know, we, I got to this place, I thought, oh, that's all right. You know, I think maybe that's it. And I think it was running about 30, 35 minutes. So I thought, oh, yeah, that's, pro that's probably what it is. And my partner, Michelle, came in who'd seen all the interviews because up till then she'd been out of the picture. So she came in and had a look at it and she was just like, uh, no, 
no, you, where's that bit? Where's that bit? Why isn't that in? And why have you put, what are you doing? Like, where's all these pieces, right? So, <laughs> so took it right back to the beginning and then recreated it. So, so it's always a funny feeling. I mean, I, I, maybe it's different when you write a book. Um, Deb, but it's always a funny feeling when, when people say, oh, this film you made, where I, I know, yes, I did the interviews, but I know there's all these voices behind me that have contributed in a hundred different ways to make what that documentary ended up being. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a powerful documentary. And I'm, I'm just really grateful that you, you felt that impulse and you seized it and you and you went out there and you did it and it was really I I actually couldn't even imagine without you as the as the through line through without it because it was it just made it seem more personal yes and you know and ultimately I guess it you know that that I did want to capture that I wanted to get like you know because everyone's sort of I feel like more and more people are waking up to it but you know, this journey through to understanding it is sort of, um, it's, it's much more profound than people think, you know, it's not, it's not a giving up. It's not a, it's not a, um, uh, it's not a descent into uh, hopelessness or depression. It's sort of got, it's, there's much more to it than that, as, as both of you would know. And I sort of wanted to paint that picture, just fill out that picture more. Right. Um, so, so then, then, uh, then, then it's like, okay, Michael, you got to be part of this, right? So yes. it's so then you're like, oh crap, how do I do that? Yes. Huh? Yes. Yeah. 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 And you know, B-roll. I didn't understand B-roll. I didn't understand anything <laughs> about making documentary. And just luckily, I had just enough B-roll because I, I hired people to do the filming along the way who'd done little bits that I ended up using almost every single bit of B-roll I had to get that together. Um, uh, but yeah, like, you know, the end result, I, I was sort of quite, you know, it's, I think it still looks like a beginner's filmmaker's documentary, but, I, but uh, I, was, I was pleased with the result and I feel like I managed to capture the essence of the people that I was speaking with. Yeah, and so when you're, when you're deciding what is the story that I'm telling, I mean, you've got all these pieces and all the things that all these people said, then you're almost writing a book, huh? You're, you're, you're almost needing to figure out a storyline that yeah. then you also need to incorporate yourself in. Yeah, yeah. Well, Catherine told me this line, and, and I'm sure, look, you know, anyone who's done, who's created things would understand this. Catherine gave me a line and said, um, uh, at some point she said, oh, you've got to learn to kill your darlings. And um, meaning uh, the, so many bits, there were so many beautiful bits of those interviews that are not in that documentary. Um, you know, you know, particularly with Da, to be honest, like, um, it's like, oh, I feel I have to cut that bit out. It's a bit heartbreaking to lose that bit. And oh, I can't include that bit and I have to cut that bit out, you know, to, to get the through line story. So, so one of the things that I'm doing um, is I'm going to put the interviews up in full uh, up on the website, because I just think there's something about the, 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 the role that Dar gets on and the role that Stan gets on and Jem as well as Catherine, you know, they all have their momentum that builds through the interview. And I, I want to put that up in its entirety so people can see that if they choose to, if they want to tune into one of those speakers more than I've done in the doco. 
Wow. So, so then the story starts coming together and you agree to be the through line yeah. and, and how are you feeling about it? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, because I'm new to it, like, so Tom, the editor guy, he would come around and we'd put, you know, more of me in it. And literally I had uh, about a two, three hour window of attention. And then I just start getting really sleepy and I couldn't go, you know, I was just <laughs> watching myself speak and watching myself walk and watching the interviews. I just couldn't cope. So, so we were working in two and three hour slots for a long time while I got to deal with that. At the end, of course, you know, it was 12 and 15 hour days. I was, I was over it, but um, the beginning was not easy. <laughs> just not wow. easy. Yeah. I, I have a curious question. Like, what yes, was your sure. timeline for making this? Like, when you when you got the idea from the time yeah. of conception to release? A year and a half. Wow. Yeah. So it, it <laughs> these things are never they're never quick. <laughs> no, no, they're never quick. But that was pretty quick, really, in terms of film. You know, in terms of like coming from nothing. Um, you know to to wanting to make it to doing the interviews to travel to, to to come back and do it so so a year and a half and uh yeah it was you know i've only I mean, it's only just finished so i'm just getting used to not being consumed by that um, <laughs> right by that so energy. then it's time to release right yeah, so tell us yeah. what it felt like as it creeped closer to okay we're going to do a website and we're going to release this thing yes um Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, Deb, you were talking about this a little bit earlier, and um, Peter, you, you as well. I think I felt like it's, it's a whole combination of things. I felt um, I couldn't help but feel all the people that would be hurt by the message. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the the younger people that would feel intimidated or frightened um, by what I was saying, um, uh, even into my own family. And um, so I, I did have a lot of uh, uh, sort of wariness, I suppose. Um, and, I, and I had, you know, like, this is happening and this is real. And this needs to be said. And maybe in my doco, I can reach people that haven't been reached by the written word uh, or, or, you know, Zoom interviews. Maybe there's a way that I can reach other people. So I, I, it's like, look, it, there is no choice. This has to happen. But it was a mixed feeling of sort of a celebration of ending and a wariness. And look, you know, I, I live up around Byron Bay in New South Wales, and this is a very uh, hopeful town. Um, you know, it's an ex-hippie town and, um, you know, most people here are still, you know, all up for the Green New Deal and, you know, most people here are still thinking that things can turn around. So, so I knew it wasn't going to really sing to the community that I was in as well. Yeah. So, you know, so a little bit of a mixed bag on that. Right. Ah, I remember that feeling too when I first got in and decided to do interviews on extinction radio and and then I'm going to do an I'm going to do an event with this climate scientist who thinks that we're 
that were done, right? And in my hometown, right? And similar to you, it's like, I don't want to tell my family this, <laughs> you know, they won't understand, or I don't want to put that news on them. And I'm not even sure who I want to invite, right? Yes. It's like, yeah. let the straight, the people who randomly come can randomly yes. come, but I don't want yes. to tell my friends that I'm, yes. I'm daring to say what I feel is true, yes. that things yes. are really, really yeah. in a weird spot right now. Yes. Yeah. And and so there's, I feel you, brother, it's, there's this, wow, what a paradoxical moment, so drawn to this truth, but so still trapped in the storyline that we grew up on, right? This, yes, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and what would be compassionate, you know, what's compassionate, um, you know, ultimately for me, and like, obviously for both of you as well, you know, compassion ends up being, you know, honest, let's be honest. Uh, is that's the most compassionate thing to do. But, you know, next to that is, uh, you know, want to just take care of people a little bit or, you know, don't want to shock people or, you know, and all that. But that, you know, that's the lesser of those two uh, feelings, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's this other feeling Deb was mentioning too, was mm -hmm. that, that what you want to do is soften the message, right? Yeah. Hey, it yeah. looks like things are really bad, but... Yeah. Yes. Right. So that maybe people could hear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I, I don't know about you two, but I've had this evolution in my messaging now in that, um, like, for instance, when I first went vegan, I became this hardcore animal rights activist and I wanted everybody to go vegan. And I was basically ramming it down everybody's throat because I was aware of everything that was going on and I wanted everybody else to know about the brutality that was out there so that they can make different choices. And, and I realized that it was an exercise in futility because I know for myself, when somebody rams something down my throat, that I just move in the other, other direction. You know, I don't need that dogma rammed down my throat and something similar happened to me when I released my essay in 2016 and then I got some attention and then I was like, I, I just figured, wow, well, I guess more people are open to this than I thought. And so I just started talking to it, talk, talking about that topic about collapse and biosphere collapse and extinction and, you know, the big E word and uh, just to, to regular folks and <laughs> that did not go over so well. And so <laughs> as I'm sure you can both understand they're, they just thought I was crazy because yeah. you know they're so they're caught up in the narrative that the three of us were all living at one point before we reached this place of acceptance and now um, especially with I mean I've had a very tumultuous 2020 we'll put it that way personally and then with this this COVID reality, this COVID narrative that's unfolding as well. And it's really, uh, it's been like this one, two, three punch in my personal life and then what's going on globally as well. And it's made me realize the importance of connection more than ever, because we're living in a reality where love has been redefined in a really dysfunctional way. As far as I'm concerned, love is not social isolation or social distancing or putting on masks and gloves and, and asking if we need to hug each other out of fear of death of, for something that's so uncertain. People don't even know really what this is all about. So I feel like there's like this whole absence of critical thought with this pandemic that's out there has really um, 
has really done a number on the collective human psyche so that, like I said, we as a collective now believe that love is isolation. Mm -hmm. And I don't buy into that narrative, especially with the awareness that I have, that the three of us have in, in the imminent extinction and biosphere collapse and everything else that's unfolding, you know, like, I just find this really tragic that we've separated from ourselves and from each other even more with this, this COVID story. So <clears throat> it's implored me to look at my own life a little bit more and to look at where I was at one point feeling a little intolerant or frustrated why people could not understand this message of extinction and why they were so hung up on business as usual and getting back to their lives and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And it's given me, it's made me feel softer and more tolerant. And also um, I don't feel any need to impose my beliefs on anybody at all anymore. The veganism, the collapse, nothing. Instead, what it's, what this has given me, and again, this has been painful too, this whole COVID thing too, is just like, it's, it's made me realize that what's more important for me now more than ever is love and connection and compassion and caring and just, and being with people where they're at. And I don't care what their beliefs are. I don't, I, it doesn't matter because if we have, um, if there's, if we have fun together, if we can, if we can meet somewhere in the middle and really enjoy each other's company and just, and, and feel, and there's compassion and there's love that to me is more important than anything else. So, you know, and if they ask me where I'm at with this whole thing, I don't, I don't edit myself. Um, I soften the blow maybe, but I'm just saying, this is where I'm at and you know, blah, blah, blah. But I don't feel any need to evangelize. I don't feel any need to, to talk about it at all anymore. I just feel like it's more important to just live fully now. And I feel like, you know, with the three of us, I mean, we're, we're all in that place of acceptance of where we're at. And then we've got the complication with this, this COVID thing going on as well. And so I feel like that's just another incentive to, live even more fully now yeah wow Thank yeah you, well boy. put well, so put, well said yeah so so michael i'd like to did the last piece of your personal journey here and then we'll return for another interview to go deeper into what it feels like yeah. to be in this existential moment so so you're about to release the your 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 storyline here with this interview is you're about to release the you're about to release it so tell us about the actual release and what's happened in the what's it been has it been a month yet uh, no, it hasn't even been a month yet. And um, look, after I put it out, uh, I, I'd pushed, I'd, I'd gotten pretty obsessed with it in the lead up to it the last couple of months, you know, just doing, you know, cr crazy long days, waking up in the middle of the night with, oh, I need to pause one second more on that scene. And <laughs> like, I, I'd been just, um, you know, I couldn't, get away I'd go for a walk you know even on the loo there'd be just like ideas and so um <laughs> you know full 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 fully immersed in that kind of creative craziness and when I finished uh I think the first thing that I wanted to do was just sort of come back to my center 
a bit. And um, so I, I went away, like I released it and three or four days later, uh, I was away on a um, silent retreat, a 10 day silent retreat. And um, I've just gotten back from that, uh, you know, maybe four or five days ago. So, so that was the process for me of just uh, keeping my feet in what's real, I think, um, uh, not getting too attached to what happens with the doco. Now it's out there, I think. Um, you know, obviously I wanted to do well, but, uh, you know, just also just being real with myself uh, along the way. Wow. Yeah, what a whole different world, huh? Instead of doing something because you want it to be big or to sell a bunch or whatever, it, it's just your heart yeah. Yeah. got to oh, move. Well, that's the thing about these times, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? That's the, um, I mean, that's the freedom, I think, that's offered in these times is there's nowhere to get, there is nowhere to get. For what reason could there possibly be anything, any place to get to? So, you know, I think it makes, you know, values real values more profoundly true now than at any time in my life. Yeah. Right. And so now the movie, tell us about where people can see the movie, or I know you've asked for, you know, people to donate if they feel yes. called and yes. tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So uh, the movie is available, you know, living in the time of dying.com is the website uh, and the movie, you can see the, mu the movie there on YouTube and, um, you know, if people feel moved to, do to donate, then that is wonderful because that will let me keep um, interviewing people and keep working in this field in the way that I want to. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's it really. And spread, spread it, please, if you like it and enjoy it uh, or it touches you or you feel like people want to, you know, would be good for people to watch it, then share it. Um, because I want as many people as possible to see it. Yeah. Are you looking to get it into film festivals and some of that effort or? Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, somebody suggested that I hadn't, I hadn't gone in with that intention at all. Um, uh, but perhaps, perhaps, perhaps I, I wouldn't have the foggiest idea about how to do that, <laughs> but, uh, well. but perhaps, you know, like, a, you know, that's something to think about. For yeah. sure. Somebody's yeah. going to see this interview or, or see your website and want to help you with that is what's going to happen, Michael, because right. this, this right. needs to go out and maybe put that on your website even, right? Hey, yeah. looking for people who, who want to help me get this into film festivals yes. because yeah. there's just so many people with so much time who want to have that heart-based connection to what they're up to. Yeah. And, and just like happened with me, I'm like, holy man, I got to call this guy, right? Yeah. I saw the movie. Yeah. I was typing to you before I even saw half the movie. Yes. Right. Wow. It's like, oh wow. man. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sign me yeah. up. Like on the Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I need to talk yeah. to you. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. and, and so, wow. You're another one of those uh, ones, Peter, that really kind of flies with the heart when you're, when yeah. you're, when you're, when you're moved, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And Deb, closing thoughts on, on this, on his personal journey here. <laughs> Again, I'm really grateful that you just, you went for it, that you, you felt the impulse and that you acted on it. And I think that what you put together was very moving, very beautiful and so necessary, especially mm. in today's world. So mm. for me, it's just, I just sending you lots of gratitude. Mm. 
Thank you so much, Deb. You know, I mean, look, Peter, you too. I, I don't know your work, Peter, but I'll, I'm going to tune in more now. But I know yours, Deb, so it really means a lot um, coming from you. you know, very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What, a, what a pleasure. What a, what a joy. I'm looking forward to our next interview mm. and, and helping you spread the word about the journey mm. that you've had and about the journey that other people are taking right? Because mm. more and more people will feel safer to go there because we're in, we're in a collective rite of passage, but we're mm. also in an individual same. rite of passage yeah. yep. at the same time. And yeah. this is paradoxically odd, but here we are. And more and more the dominoes are falling, mm. which mm. are sending more and more people into this moment, into mm. this, hey, what is going on here? Yeah. What yeah. does he mean living in the time of dying? Yeah. Right? What, did I, yeah. what do you mean collapse? What do you mean extinction? What do you mm. mean right? The forests are going or the ocean is going or mm. right that more and more of these things are being heard and being mm. scientifically spoken of. And, yeah. and so our, our brothers and sisters are headed into this place and mm. more and more of us are needing to step up to, to hold the light for them, to hold the space mm. for them. And so, well, thank I think, you. The, you know, and I think the thing is people, I think I have all, I've been aware of all of those issues, but they carry with it the idea that it's happening in another lifetime, not mine, or uh, there's a technological cure that will save this, you know, civilization. So that's the change, isn't it? That, um, yeah. that everything that's being reported is real and happening now. So, yeah. yeah. I, re I remember the thought that went through my head. Surely brighter minds than mine are working on this, right? <laughs> and that it's like, uh-oh. I'm not sure there are, right? Or, or, or people, not that I'm bright, but just that nobody's working on this, right? Or, yes. or people are in their individual silos and there's the yeah. people working on the ocean or, or working yeah. on the sky or the animals yeah. or whatever. But yeah. this, this combination of all of it, mm. that this holistic view of what's going on needed mm. to be presented mm. and still does. And, and here we are doing it. And, and thank you for doing it. Can you say the website one more time? And living and in the time of dying. Oh yeah, living in the time of dying. Uh, and um, look, it's it's not an it's not an easy view for people that are new to the idea that we're facing extinction um, or something close to it. It's not an easy view, but I feel I really do give an opportunity for people to start asking sort of meaningful questions uh, about their lives and what's real and what's important during it. So, so it's a hammer, uh, but it's also a, a, a velvet glove next to it. Do you know what I mean? Is what I'd say. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, mm. Debbie, for joining me Thank with you. this. Thank you, Michael. Wow. <sighs> Here we are. Huh? Here we yeah. are together. Us, us together now. Yeah. All right. yeah. All right. Blessings until next time. Living in the time of dying. Living in the time of dying.com. Check it Very out. Good. Thank you.